1: I must admit, this feels mighty good.
0: This is Joseph L. Flatley, and you are listening to Failed State Update. I am roughly six days out from the release of my book, New Age Grifter, The True Story of Gabriel of Uranja and His Cosmic Family. That's my five-year-long, four-year-long, whatever it was, investigation into a UFO cult. And I definitely suggest you pre-order it now so it will wind up on your front porch on the day of release, the 24th. But if you still need a little push or you just want to hear some interesting conversation, this is the first 42 minutes of an interview with me on the Grassroots Yang Gang podcast, which, uh, this is kind of a funny story. My mom apparently only follows people that post bird photos and Paula Poundstone and Andrew Yang on Twitter for some reason. And the other day, Yang posted, you know, like a picture of a book and said, what's everybody reading? And my mom posted my book. She was proud of it. She said, my son's book comes out the 24th. So she got a shout out from Andrew Yang, and I got a shout out from Andrew Yang and a follow. And this dude named Russell uh, looked me up, and it turns out we both have an interest in the Urantia book and other obscure topics, and... I just thought it was a fantastic interview. He, um, you know, we we veered way off topic and really ended up kind of discussing how modern life and the inequities in the system make people kind of crazy, and that's what drives them to cults or to QAnon. So, I just found it to be a fascinating conversation. So, I'm uh, posting the first 40 minutes here, and... Click on the link in the show notes to watch the rest of it. And without further ado, here's my conversation with the Grassroots Yang Gang.
1: who don't know who you are, why don't you introduce yourself and tell everybody your background.
0: My name is uh, Joseph L. Flatley, and uh, I'm a journalist based in Pittsburgh, and I kind of cover fringe topics, conspiracy theories, uh, bizarre subcultures, crime, politics, really anything that I find interesting, and I've been very interested in the conspiracy theory stuff for a long time. And it's been interesting to see it over the last several years turn from like kind of a quirky fringe topic to, you know, what everybody's talking about now. The influence of QAnon on our politics and Donald Trump is the conspiracy theorist in chief. So um, I'm interested in looking at those topics, you know, almost like in a sociological way. Like, what does it mean to who we are as a country that we're going down these rabbit holes
1: yeah. I mean, I can, I can, it's, it's kind of crazy to see just, you know, you have, you have people like Alex Jones, who is, you know, he's been proven right on a lot of the things that, you know, that he's been, you know, been putting out over the years. Is he a little bit on the crazy side? Yeah, probably. But you know, it is what it is. You got to take the good with the bad. And yeah. the, the, the thing is, I guess it is, The reason that that people believe in them is because they do exist, you know?
0: Oh, sure. There's a term parapolitics. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It kind of is the study of the politics behind the politics. So, you know, we learn in civics class in high school that, you know, we elect people. They listen to us. They we vote them in. They vote in Congress to pass the laws that we want passed, and it's the most simplistic possible explanation of democracy, and it's totally wrong. There's this whole other level of, of power and influence where people have agendas and they're making deals, and that really is kind of the root of... That's been described as parapolitics, and that's really the root of conspiracy theory, but while all that's going on, also conspiracy theory culture just as much as it's about these like realistic parapolitical concerns is also about you know whether or not the the vaccine has a tracker for Bill Bill Gates or you know if you have reptilian soul or you know DNA or whatever so it's like the word conspiracy theory kind of runs the whole gamut and and that's why I don't really like to use it because it's not that useful because it too all encompassing you know so you you do have somebody like um, Alex Jones who i think you know a blo- you know broken clock is right twice a day but if he's the only people talking if he's the only person talking about these topics of course people are going to listen to him of course people are going to accept what he has to say because i mean there's a real need to understand what's going on behind the scenes and when nobody provides it when the mainstream media doesn't provide it you end up going to Alex Jones or someone even crazier.
1: Yeah, but you got to, I mean, like, I'm going to be honest, that jacket behind you, is, it kind of freaks me out. <laughs>
0: that was a joke well, that only gave me, and I didn't realize it was up there. But, um, but speaking of,
1: I mean, you know, you see, like, the CIA, and you see, like, everything that they did in South America when it came to, yeah. you know, bringing crack to America and funding their their whole war it was you know a, a perpetual war. I mean you hear shit like that and then you hear, you know, like the Tuskegee experiments and like just all these different things that the government has admitted to doing, right? <laughs> They've admitted to it.
0: Sure, well so it, 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 I mean those are all real and those are all important stories and by, you know, someone like Alex Jones by combining those with a host of things that are misinformation or disinformation or just plain wrong, that's where the confusion comes. If we had like an honest press that was discussing that busted the Tuskegee syphilis experiments right when they happened, or you know, who listened to Gary Webb when he was talking about the Contra to crack to Los, you know, Los Angeles pipeline. If we had like a real press that, that took these things seriously, then people will be much better informed. I absolutely agree. Um, I just think that there are a lot of con artists out there. There's a whole, really a whole media ecosystem of con artists that use people's real, legit fears of conspiracy to make a lot of money. And it's, and it's kind of leads to my book, because I've been, you know, this UFO cult in Arizona that I've been investigating for years, He does the exact same thing. He has his members locked into a locked into their compound and he fills their head with conspiracy theory, end of the world myths and stuff, freaks him out and makes him really easy to control. I think that happens quite a bit on the Internet. And it's a real problem because, like you mentioned, there are real things going on behind the scenes that need to be illuminated, for lack of a better word. But um they're not. They're not being. So that leads con artists and grifters to take advantage of people's very real fears of those things.
1: So you mentioned the, your book, which yep. is the reason that you're here is to, to promote that book. Um, for those who don't know, the book of Arancha was supposedly <laughs> written in anywhere from like the 1920s to the 1940s in Chicago. Yeah. And the authorship is kind of unknown. Uh, What what they think it was, was the story that I understand, right, is that these people channeled or this guy started channeling this stuff that was coming to him from supposedly this higher being. And he wrote it all down in this book, him and his wife and all these people. And thus you have the Book of Rancher. right? The reason that I know is because I have a copy of it. I have, um, I've been on kind of a different journey. You study it for like the sociological impact. Yeah. I kind of came to it through my spiritual journey. Right. I, you know, and once I start on something, I, I, I tend to like absorb it all. You know, <laughs> speaking of cults, I've, you know, I've read every book of, that there is on uh, that L. Ron Hubbard put out on Scientology. And what I what I try try to do, right, is I try to take all these different pictures and try to like take take it and find where it all fits,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right. And then you hear these stories like this guy who you wrote about, yeah, right, who is out there, and they they find suckers like me, <laughs> and they're like, hey, listen to this, you know, but. Talk about this journey of this book that you wrote.
0: Sure. Well, um, it's really, I'm really excited to talk to somebody who's familiar with the Urantia book, because a lot of times I do this press, and it's, it's an obscure spiritual text, and a lot of times people need, like, kind of the background, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners would. But basically, the thing that strikes out about the Urantia book that strikes out, comes out to me And I'd be interested to hear your take on it. It's it's a very non-authoritarian text in the sense that there are no priests, there are no popes. Either you read the Urantia book and you discuss it with like-minded Urantians, or you don't. But it's really like a very democratic and very modern kind of take on spirituality. Um, I don't know if you'd agree, but that's kind of my understanding See, see,
1: this is why I was excited for this podcast <laughs> because I get to geek out a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, um, I, yeah, it is. It, it is a very non-authoritarian, um, and it, it it's so weird because the text, right? It goes on and explains how all this stuff supposedly fits together, mm-hmm. right? This whole big picture, and it's and it's it's very in depth, yeah. you know. I'll be honest, I probably got through maybe two-thirds of it. Well, and so then I just, I
0: just so two-thirds is pretty good.
1: Yeah, but it was it was almost like trying to read J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings.
0: <laughs> For sure. And um, but you know, so where, where my guy comes in, Gabriel of Urantia, is he's a kind of a hippie from Pittsburgh where I'm from. That's one of the things that attracted me to the story. Um, You know, he's a baby boomer. He grew up in the sixties. He like started out as a Christian kind of coffee, coffee house, uh, acoustic musician, you know, and, you know, kept getting divorced. His music career wouldn't take off. And he discovered the Arantia book. And instead of taking it kind of in the open spirit that it's intended to be taken, that non-authoritarian spirit that we discussed, he used it as the foundation to build his own religion that is very much authoritarian. So he's the boss, everybody that is not him on the planet is spiritually lower. He, um, he, you know, he, he has a lot of, he's gained a lot of materially from from this cult, you know, he's got, you know, he like traded in his wife for a younger model but he keeps the new you know the old wife around and he has a radio station in Tucson that just plays his goofy music 24/7 he's got a compound in the desert with a mansion where he lives and basically he's got 10 120 some followers and they're all waiting for the end of the world they think the world's going to end ufo's are going to come and they're going to like crawl out of their bunker and take over as the new leaders of the world but in the meantime they're just like you know picking beans in the garden and working in this guy's businesses it's like a total con so to see something as pure as the orantia book become a a vehicle for this guy's ego and what he's you know what he's able to get away with is really kind of the more one of the more fascinating parts of the book
1: Yeah, I I read the article that you sent, and this dude is, he is making so much money, man. It's crazy. He's taking advantage of these people, and they're, like, putting in all this work. And, you know, if I ask a lot of questions, it's because, you know, when I was little, my mom used to tell me, she was like, you're either going to grow up to be a politician or you're going to grow up to be a pastor. And so I'm kind of thinking of marrying those two things and becoming a cult leader myself, so
0: <laughs> glad I can help you on your journey it's yeah. It's
1: crazy just the amount of money that this dude is making,
0: yeah, and I mean compared to Scientology, it's not a huge amount, for instance, but you know you get a hundred people working for free f- over since nineteen eighty nine so thirty plus years that's a good chunk of change for sure it's um yeah and it's and one of the and then the one of the strangest things is that like they struggled for a long time but they found a couple businesses that really became money makers or seem poised to become money makers so they have a, a hospice so they operate a hospice they send nurses to people's houses that are on their deathbeds and nurse them you know and um you know that they make money off of, uh, I guess it'd be Medicare, or um, so the government's literally funding this cult in a sense. And on top of that, they started a hemp farm a couple of years ago that seems to be doing really well. And you know, if you can grow and sell hemp, you know, you're practically, you know, printing your own money. So, so I think they're really interesting. They're kind of in their last legs because the leader is in his 70s; he's not going to be around that much longer but they seem to be doing better than ever financially.
1: You know what's crazy, right? It's like, I looked this dude up. I looked up his music and all this stuff. And i was sitting there and I'm watching this guy and I'm like, he reminds me of like Joe Exotic in a whole lot of ways. Yeah. I see so many similarities between like him, his little music videos and Joe Exotic's music videos. Okay
0: yeah it's like both of them you know they make these music videos and like everybody's afraid to tell them that they're terrible you know (laughs) so they put them out it's like yeah i mean you i think i think it really affects your mental health um being told that you're right and everything you do is right for a number of years you know of course joe exotic i think had crystal meth or something to help him but um either way it's a it's a crazy way to live
1: yeah, it is. It's it's kind of weird to see, like, I don't know, because, like, I consider myself fairly spiritually developed mm-hmm. as far as I know enough to know that I don't know anything. And, and then you, that's why it's really, really frustrating for people like me who are, are on a spiritual path. To see people like that who have have taken something that's that's supposed to be helpful and and turn it into something that's that's very, very harmful.
0: Oh yeah. And um, I mean talk about taking advantage of people that are most vulnerable. They come to him and they have they're having spiritual crises or they're kind of maybe kind of falling off their own spiritual path. They're having a hard time trying to you know, figure out their place in the world. And then, you know, they hear about this community in the desert. And by all, you know, by all outside appearances, it's fantastic looking. Like they have, I don't know if you've looked at any of the pictures, but they have like a an eco village. So, you know, they practice ecologically sound building techniques and they, you know, do agriculture and permaculture and, you know, Uh, renewable energy and stuff and all the houses are beautiful because they like they design their own their own structures and um so it looks phenomenal of course if you see the website and then on top of that they're like we're going to give you the answers to your spiritual quandaries yeah of course you're going to go and check it out and then you know they're masters of manipulation so it takes you know takes a year or so. takes eight months for you to figure out what they're really about. But by that time, you know you've given everything away. You've signed a contract, and you know it's kind of too late. Alienated yourself from your families, from your family. I mean, it's not like they lock people in. It's not like a jail. But when you've been there long enough, and you don't, you haven't been paying taxes. You haven't been paying into social security. You're, you don't have any savings because you've given it all away you've ruined your relationship with your family because you've been told that they're evil. And then you've been in this place for like 20 years. What are your options? Can you really leave? It takes a great leap of faith to do that.
1: Are there really people there who who have been there for like 20 years?
0: Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, the, um, so it started in 1989. It was located in Sedona, Arizona. Didn't move down until like the two thousands, but yeah, there are people that joined up right when, they kind of kicked off. So 30 plus years, and, you know, people who were, you know, you know, people who are in their seventies, eighties now, perhaps. And, um, you know, and it's, and it got progressively crazier over the years, but what that does is it filters out the people that won't put up with it. So you end up with like a pretty hardcore group of people that can't or won't leave after 30 years of this.
1: Well, I mean, you're sitting here and you're describing to me this, this beautiful place that's so eco-friendly, and these motherfuckers who have been there for 30 years, it, it seems like they got what they wanted out of it, didn't they?
0: Well, no. I mean, if you're if you're poor and your health care is crap and you're not allowed to have a relationship with your family, and there's a great deal of psychological manipulation that goes on behind the scenes, um... They, the main one is, uh, they call it the chip game. And it's not a game. What it is, is it's a system of like surveillance basically, where everybody in the community basically watches over each other and snitches to the leadership if something's done wrong. They fill out a form, it goes up the ladder. And what this does is it basically gives Gabriel and his leadership a map of everybody's behavior and thoughts at any time which is extremely powerful when you want to manipulate somebody and then they have a program called a program they call it the personality integration rehabilitation program which is basically like a coercive form of therapy to like further get people to do what you want so the reason people are still there is because they're kept you know they're kept confused they're kept Afraid, afraid they're snitching on each other their emotional lives are turmoil like that's the real power of gabriel is his ability to mess with people's minds um so yeah so it does by all counts from the outside look great but it really isn't yeah
1: see it sounds to me like what he's done is he's inst- basically instituted instituted communism in a small way, in the small little place, everything is going to him, the state, and he's dictating what the, the people can get. I read in that article that you sent me that, that, that people went into town and they got like a $40 allowance or something? What was that oh, about?
0: Yeah. $40, $40 a year to spend on clothing. Yeah, and um, yeah, they, they got to like go to, Yeah, to thrift stores. And they don't even do that anymore. Everything's kept in a, you know, in a trailer or, or a few trailers on the property. And then if somebody needs something, they can ask the leadership if they're allowed to, you know, if they need a new dress or if they need a new bicycle or whatever. And then if it's available and if the leader decides they get to have it, it's handed over. It's, um, it, it is, it's like the worst kind of caricatures of communism that you hear when people talk about, you know, kind of a, a priestly ruler, leadership ruler, ruling class at the top that takes all the wealth and just hand it, hands it out a little bit at a time. It's pretty, you know, and it's done that way on purpose because leadership wants to live, you know, live the good life. It's, you know, there's Gabriel and then there's his partner who used to be like his romantic partner but now she's just like the leader of you know a spiritual co-leader of the group and um they're at the top and they have a series of elders which is like i'm gonna, I'm gonna say like half a dozen i don't remember off the top of my head had the exact number but it's like around half a dozen people who you know kind of do their bidding and keep an eye out for things and then you know it's very it's a hierarchical structure goes down from there It, it,
1: it's it's got it now you actually went down there and attended the service right oh i sure did talk about that experience how weird was that <laughs>
0: it was weird man it was um you know i so it was uh april of 2019 and i um I basically, I went to Tucson to interview a few ex-members of the cult because a lot of them are located in the Tucson area because it's close by to the uh, cult compound in Tumacapri, Arizona. And I was there and I just called the group up because they had a, you know, I was listening to their radio station the whole time. And I was down there and they had like an advertisement for, you know, if you want to join. So I called them up and I was like, yeah, I want to I want to join. I want to check it out at least and they you know they they had a public service but it was like wasn't like what you think of a church service where you just roll in and go to church it's like yes it's open to the public but you have to show up at a certain time and they walk out they let themselves out of this like electronic gate and um you're standing there and they pat you down for weapons and then they bring you in and then they like press a button in, and the gate locks behind you. And, um, and then it's all very scripted. I went to the service. I had to pay him $50, I think. And, um, <laughs> yeah, right? and, um, and I watched.
1: You know,
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It was 50 bucks. And, um, And like, I go into this big church and it looks really nice and everybody's dressed nice and they're laughing and talking and stuff. And then we watched like an hour of, before it even started, they like started playing YouTube videos of like what we were talking about (laughs) earlier, the conspiracy theories, like, you know, like mudslides and, you know, you know, UFOs and just every like doomsday thing you can imagine. And they were like, I
1: subscribe to a lot of those channels.
0: <laughs> you know, it's like these guys don't do anything. They don't watch TV all week. And then they're watch this stuff and they're told by their leader, you know, this is actually happening outside right now. If you leave the gates, you know, you're gonna, you know, you're not gonna be safe. And it's really uh it was really bizarre. And um and it really just impressed upon me like the power of a lot of these things that a lot of these like this conspiracy misinformation to really freak people out and make them susceptible to psychological control. Then after an hour of that, we, uh, it turned into just like a regular church service. And they talked about the Orantia book for like four hours and it was so boring. It was just, <laughs> and I was like trying not to fall asleep, you know? And then, um, it was funny. They, they actually s- Put me in a seat that was like in the middle of the congregation, but directly in front of Gabriel, like he was going to be keeping an eye on me the whole time and um, still still didn't keep me awake and then um yeah, after that, so it was like five hours at church, and then I got to meet a couple of the people in the cult, and they gave me uh enchiladas and <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah that is hilarious dude <laughs> but when you were talking about it right you were talking about being at the gate and them coming out to pat you down i started breaking out into a cold sweat because it sounded a whole lot like prison <laughs> you know
0: yeah i mean in some ways very similar you know um i mean you know how like you know it's like nine tenths of the prisoner of the prison is in these people's minds, though you know they don't have to go to the the extreme lengths of like a prison prison of Attica state or something because these people are so wrapped up in the drama and in what their leader's been telling them that they don't want to leave and like I said, and they can leave you know it's just they don't have very many options on the outside
1: what do you why do what do you think? <sighs> I I, I kind of feel like it just speaks to this yearning desire that we as humans have to want to know what the next step is.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, we all have that and it's really a genius like Gabriel that can pounce on you when you're the, at the lowest point, when you're the most desperate, you know, it's like, I think any of us, if we were in that the right headspace, if we were, you know, came across someone like Gabriel at the right time, could be dragged in and taken advantage of like this. Most of us, thank goodness, won't be. But it's, you know, it's a very real problem. And it happens, you know, happens in these kind of like goofy religious cults. It also happens with like people on, you know political leaders or, you know, you know, YouTube influencers that are kind of like spiritual YouTube influencers who like you, they don't, you don't actually, maybe you don't even physically go visit them, but you send them money and you obsess over them and then you drive your family nuts. Cause you won't stop talking about them. You know, it's, um, it's a very much a QAnon on thing now, but that's, that's one of the reasons I liked this doing this book. Because it's an extreme example of something that I think is increasingly commonplace.
1: It is, and and I want to kind of touch, and this video is probably going to be demonetized because we're talking about QAnon, (laughs) (laughs) but screw it. If they demonetize it and they take it down, whatever. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that, though, because there was a lot, you know, even myself, at one point, I was like, you know what? Maybe these people got a point. You know, th- this was, like, early. Oh, yeah. In, in the early days, I'm like, because I've been studying conspiracies for a long time, and a lot of the stuff that they believed in the early days was things that I had researched myself. Sure. You know, oh, yeah. all, all through the years. I, and once I start going down a rabbit hole, I just keep going down. <laughs> and This is why I get caught up in all this stuff. But talk about the, just the level of belief that a person has to have. Cause there's still people who think that Donald Trump's going to be
0: reinstated. I know I was at a rally. I was like at an anti-masker rally, you know, as a journalist a few weeks ago. And the first thing I heard when I got there was like, you know, either Don, you know, is, you know, Donald Trump is our hero, but we have to fight for him and all this stuff. And I thought, Oh my goodness. It's, the election was six months ago. Get over it. But, um, yeah, I mean, speaking to the QAnon thing, um, you're right. You know, it's like what, you know, been going on for four years now. And it's um, and it's had so many iterations, like, in that four years. Like, initially it seemed reasonable compared to what you have now because it was like.
1: it <laughs> did
0: you know, it's like it was like a uh, really interesting take on conspiracy ideas that had been out there forever, and and just like Gabriel in the desert has spent the last thirty years perfecting his pitch, what's going to get people, what how am I be- best to get my hooks in people, what's best to get my hooks in people? Um, QAnon's been kind of doing the same thing. It's like getting crazier and weirder and not only does that alienate the people that are kind of half-hearted, that aren't really even interested that interested or won't be that hardcore, and it really draws in the people that would be that hardcore. And that, you know, so it's kind of like you have like, you know, the on faithful, now you have a faithful group of people that are really with it, you know, through hell or high water. I mean, they haven't even heard from Q in since december you know it's like he hasn't been or they or whoever it was hasn't been hasn't been communicating at all the last the last few drop was like a link to the uh twisted sister video we're not going to take it you know to that song (laughs) and but people are still more than ever like part of the movement it's it's scary it is
1: because what you're left with is those people who are for whatever reason they they're like so invested that it, I don't think that their psyche could take it if they were wrong. You right. know?
0: Yep. For real. It's a Yeah, it's scary cuz they're it's they're like zealots. It's their um, Yeah, like what you the way you just described it, it's perfect. Their psyche couldn't take it if they were wrong. So they're never going to be proven wrong. They're never going to let that happen. They'll kill you before, you know, some of them will kill you before they allow you to to prove them wrong.
1: But you kind of see that in today's political climate, too, though, right? I mean, that same same diehard, it's either Republican, blah, 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 or Democrat, blah, blah, blah. And it's like most of us are sitting here and we're like, man, both of y'all are fucking corrupt. Who? Why, what are you? What are you even talking about? You know? But it's like that in our political
0: climate. So I think you're absolutely right. I think it's become. I think it's only because mainstream culture has gone down that road, and it's because talking about the Yang Gang, you know, people don't have like basic material needs met. Don't have healthcare, don't have jobs, losing jobs because of automation that makes something like QAnon possible. Um, I think if we were a healthy country with people who had jobs, had money, had all the things that we need, that nobody would care about QAnon. People would be like, this is ridiculous. I got to go to work (laughs) or whatever. Um, So it's like, you know, I, I I don't see this as like, the big cause, I don't think like demonetizing and pulling videos that mention QAnon is going to save anybody from QAnon. I think it's very basic material needs need to be met, and that will save us from QAnon and a whole host of other problems.
1: So you're so you're saying that there's a direct relation between like maybe not the the uh, the entire re- result, but there's a direct relation between something like QAnon springing into existence and the, the things that Andrew Yang was talking about?
0: I believe so. I think that, um, you know, I, I, you know, I, you know, it'd be interesting to see. I bet if we had a universal basic income, a lot of people would have better things to do than QAnon, you know? I've seen so many friends in the QAnon going to QAnon, or, or just into kind of like really dubious politics, like Trump politics, that like, you know, their business is hurting or they're, you know, or a relative, or they're going broke trying to like supply healthcare for a relative. And they're, they don't have enough money to retire. You know, their job is increasing hours, but they're not still like barely holding their heads above water. And these crazy ideas start to make sense to them. And to hear them explain it, it's not making any sense. It's not like they're, you know, it's not like, you know, it's not like QAnon is actually solving any of their problems, but it's a psychological solve or psychological band-aid that, you know, when the problem is, you know, are, you know, the rich, the divide between the rich and the poor is so great and people are walking around without basic human needs being met. I think there's a direct relationship between that state of affairs and QAnon beliefs and the more outrageous, inaccurate conspiracy theory beliefs. And I think and I think it'd be really interesting to put a paycheck in people's pockets every month and see 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 how that affected it. So I think it's a real
1: it's funny that, sorry to interrupt you, but it's funny that you mentioned that, right? Because I'm thinking back in, in my own life. Mm-hmm. And there was a time when both my wife and I were like down every conspiracy rabbit hole that there was. And it's weird, right? Because we, we were fucking, we were broke all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Now we're not, we're not by any means, you know, <laughs> like Right now, we're, we're, we're still on, on Vermont's unemployment, right, because of the pandemic.
0: Sure.
1: But like in those early days, like we, we didn't have any money, and we were wondering how we were going to make the bills. And so what ends up happening, right, is you, you start watching these videos, and you get sucked in because you need a reset. Mm-hmm. You need your, in your personal life, you don't know what you're going to do to make the bills for the next week. Yeah. And you're counting on one of these conspiracy theories to come through so that there's a global reset where we don't have to fucking worry about the bills anymore or whether we're going to, you know, be able to make rent. Mm-hmm. And that's the, cause you got to think about it. Andrew talks about this all the time. He talks about when you don't have a, when you, when you are operating from a lack of resources, it it takes one standard deviation away from your, you know, what you're able to deal with. Mm -hmm. And so you're constantly focused on all of these negative things and and it just becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy all the time. And you're just living in this perpetual state of dread.
0: Oh yeah. And I mean, it's really interesting to hear you, kind of speak to this from your perspective and is that kind of the thing that made you i'm not equating andrew yang with QAnon at all but right. but was it that same quality that left you open to like pursuing alternative ideas that left you let you open to eventually discovering andrew yang and his message
1: Yes, because that's just it, right? I, I had never, ever heard of an idea so revolutionary as universal basic income. Mm-hmm. I have always fought for, the, for homeless people. You know, anytime, you know, I would, I mean, we, we have literally videos on our old channel where we would set up just to feed homeless people in, in Charlotte when we lived in North Carolina. And I've been there myself. I've been homeless. I know what that's like. And then, you know, you hear this, this idea of universal basic income. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, what are you telling me that we could literally cure the homeless problem? Because guess what? Most homeless people don't want to be homeless. And this pandemic has just put them. I mean, it has crushed people who were just barely hanging on. I think there's nothing left.
0: Yeah. And, and I mean, and it's our government isn't, I mean, a complete reordering of priorities is, is called for. You know, I mean, if we hadn't gone into Afghanistan and used that money to solve homelessness, we could have solved it 20 times over. We could have started going to other countries and solving their homeless problem, you know?
1: But could we have? You know, I, I mean, mean, because, like, yeah. What? Yeah. look at California. You know, Joe Rogan talks about it on his podcast these places, they become an institution and they're getting more and more money every year and they're not actually solving shit. They got a bigger homeless problem now than they had before. And yet they're getting a lot of more money because their job depends on there being homeless people.
0: Right. Well, I mean, like I said, we have to seriously reorder, you know, how we handle things. But I mean, basic, on a very basic level to like, give people a universal basic income, give them a place to live, give them food, it would be very cheap. <laughs> but, I mean, I mean, it's a sick society that, you know, where you have biz- people whose livelihoods thrive on there being homelessness or there being an incarcerated population. Um, that's the fact of the matter. Like, I think, you know, we'd ha- we have to just start at the top and start changing the way things are done.